Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jason Levin's band, and thank you, Pastor Jonathan, for the privilege of being here tonight. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me the last book in the Bible, the book of the Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And tonight I'm preaching on this subject, the obituary of a dying church. The obituary of a dying church from the book of Revelation chapter 3. And verse 1, would you please stand with your Bibles open in honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And when it talks about the seven spirits of God, seven is the divine number and it is about the fullness of God, the completeness of God. It's talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There are not seven Holy Spirits. There is one Holy Spirit. It speaks of the fullness of the Spirit. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars said, I know your works that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Let's pray together. Dear God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would fill me tonight and speak truth through me. Lord, I must decrease and you must increase. It's all about you and it's not about us. God, open our hearts to the truth. Open our minds to the truth. And I pray, Lord, that the only Spirit who's going to be working in this service tonight is the Holy Spirit. God, I confess the devil is a defeated flow that the blood of Jesus will never lose its power. Jesus, you are Lord of all. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. amen. And you may be seated. Sardis at one time was a dynamic community, a successful community. It was about 50 miles east of the city of Ephesus at a junction of five main roads. It had been a center of trade, a military center located in an almost inaccessible plateau which made it very strategic. But it was a city that was in decline. Its best days were in the past. And what's sad was the church in Sardis was also in a state of decline. Now I was born in a little town called Wellington, Texas, up in the panhandle of Texas, really just out in the middle of nowhere. I, I wouldn't even know how to tell you how to get there. But my grandfather, my mother's father, 
was a cotton farmer during the Great Depression. And one year, he made only one bale of cotton. So he sold the farm, and he moved into town, this little town called Wellington, where I was born. And my grandmother began to work for a country doctor. She was a self-taught, self-trained nurse who believed that the miracle drug penicillin was the answer to every ill. If me or my cousins even cleared our throat, had a cough, she would bend us over the bed. And she didn't give shots in the arm. She gave them somewhere else with a needle that looked like one used by a veterinarian to vaccinate a horse. My grandfather took a job at the local cotton compress. You see, in those days, the cotton was picked, it was ginned, and then it was sent over to the cotton compress, and he ran a great big machine that pressed those all that cotton into bales. And he worked there until he retired. I can still remember us picking him up in the evening, him coming out with his lunchbox and bib overalls after a hard day's work. They lived just off the town square. It was a county seat town in a rural area, and those little towns are built around a courthouse. They have streets of brick, and my grandparents lived just off that town square. It was another day, another time, and I can remember we had set up a little lemonade stand in front of their house, and as soon as I'd made a little money, I'd run down to the town square there. There was a Ben Franklin discount store, and I'd spend every dime I made, and that's what I would do when I would stay with my grandmother. It was a vibrant community. Stores all around that town square. People actively engaged in living their lives. Many years passed. I grew into adulthood, had my own family, had the opportunity, visiting my dad in another community, to go back there. And I went downtown, and to my shock, the entire downtown business area was boarded up. All of the businesses were closed. I went out to where the big cotton compress was, where my grandfather worked. It was a empty lot. All of it was gone. It was a community off the beaten path, not a major highway near, that was in decline. That, that was Sardis. And the church had taken on the demeanor of the city. I want to show you three things in the Word of God tonight. And I want you to know that the desperate need of the hour in the local church is a spiritual renewal, a Holy Spirit revival. First of all, I want to say something about the ministry of a dead church. The ministry of a dead church. Now, notice the Bible says here that the Lord examined this church, and it says in verse 1, I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. All this church wanted to talk about was the past. They focused on what happened in their yesterdays. Their greatest blessings, their greatest victories, and their greatest growth was in the rearview mirror. They had a reputation in their past of being a great, thriving congregation. But the Lord said, I'm not interested in your past. I'm interested in your present. I'm not concerned with what you did. I'm concerned 
with what you're doing. You see, the posture of a local church is never looking back. It's living in the present and looking to the future. The greatest blessings in a church are yet to be experienced. The greatest victories, the greatest revival, and the greatest harvest. The Bible says God is able to do exceedingly above and beyond anything we have experienced in our Christian life. And when a church focuses on its past, that church will begin to decline. You see, the Lord says, I know your works. They were busy. They had buildings. They had budgets. They had programs. They had plans. They went through the motion. But the life of the Holy Spirit was absent. It just wasn't there. And so even though they were busy, even though they were carrying on all of their activity, the Lord says, I'm not pleased with you. And he says, I want you to be watchful in verse 2. That means be awake. He says, you've got a few things that have not died yet, and I want you to give attention to them. What you need is a revival, and you need to expect that I'm going to do great and mighty things among you right now. He says there in verse 2, I've not found your works perfect before God. The word perfect there means complete. They were great at starting things, but they never finished anything. We got a lot of Christians like that today. Uh, they start singing in a praise team, but they don't continue singing in a praise team. They'll begin to work with a small group, maybe back with the students. Maybe they're involved in preschool, the nursery somehow. But that only lasts for a little while. It's a rare thing in the church of today for someone to really get in and stay in. Because many people are walking by feeling, they're not walking by faith. And if you're not walking by faith, you're not going to continue serving the Lord Jesus Christ persistently in the days to come. If I led a church, a pastorate, on my feelings, I would have quit a long time ago. I started doing this when I was a very young man in my early 20s. I began pastoring my first full-time church in 1979. Since 1979, I've been doing the same thing. I pastored a rural church. I pastored a county seat church. I pastored a church in a resort area. And for 31 years, I've been the pastor of the same church, the North Jacksonville Baptist Church. And all those churches are exactly the same. You got nice people. You got good people. You got faithful people. You got compassionate people. And you got mean people. And you got annoying people and you got aggravating people and you got some people that are so in la-la land if God hemmed them up in a broom closet and hit them over the head with a Bible as big as a ping pong table they still wouldn't have the sense to know that it was God in the building with them. And this is what I found as I have been serving the Lord all of these years. There are a lot of people in the church that start the race, but they don't finish the race. And I want to tell you, if I have a pet peeve 
about being a pastor. If there's anything that aggravates me and annoys me, you say, why are you talking like that? Because this is one of the wonderful things about getting older. You just say whatever you want to say. I don't have any filter anymore. If there's anything that drives me nuts, it's all these people that want to come to you with their suggestions about the things they think you ought to be doing in church. Now, they're not going to do squat. They're not going to do anything. They're not even going to do what they're suggesting you to do. They say things like, have y'all ever thought about doing this? Have y'all ever thought about doing this? And I love this. You know, at a church that I used to go to, they, they, they do this or that and the other. And these kind of people amaze me because they are never participants, they're never involved, they're all talk and they're no do and this church was filled with people like that here is a ministry of a dead church that has people that will talk but they won't walk they're living on feeling and they're not living on faith and the Lord says it is time for you to wake up He says, I have not found your works perfect before God. You know, when you study these seven churches that are mentioned in chapter 2 and chapter 3, many of them were under attack. And the devil would attack them the same way he attacks churches today. A church that threatens the devil and his kingdom, that's pushing back the darkness, he'll attack that church in two ways. One is he'll attack from the outside. Persecution. And around this world, there are countries where the churches are... They are under tremendous persecution. They're, they are outlawed. They're not supposed to be spreading the gospel. And many people are serving Christ and giving up their very life because of their service. And if that outward persecution doesn't work, he seeks inwardly to corrupt the church with false teaching. He seeks to inject heresy in the church, to get the people to get off a of sound doctrine, off on some tangent. This church, if you notice when I read it, there are no false teachers in there trying to confuse the people. And there is no persecution on the outside trying to oppose them. This church was so dead. It was so lifeless. It was no threat to the devil. It was no threat to the demons of hell. And the devil said, I'm not even going to waste my time bothering you because you are graveyard dead. And there's nothing deader than a dead church. You know, I was in a church. It was in another state. And I was preaching up there. And I was one night there. And as I sat there, I thought, man, you could just feel this place is dead. You know, I, I, they had the works They had the announcements, they had the order of service, they had the singing, but the singing was dead. Now, you you know, you say, people say, I don't like this style of music, and I don't like that style of music. You want me to tell you what kind of music I don't like? I don't like dead music of any kind or shape. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I believe we are to, with great passion, worship the Lord Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. It was dead. The music was dead. And I got up there and tried to preach my heart out. And I just felt like I was in one of them Night of the Living Dead movies, you know. 
A few years ago, people were all excited. It was popular. It was, I think, based on some graphic novels. It was called this whole series of programs called The Walking Dead. I thought, what's the big deal about that? I started dealing with The Walking Dead in 1979 when I took that first church, man. So many people in the church that are The Walking Dead. And, and so... They, 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 they had all that music was dead, and I got up there and preached my heart out. And when the lady that was leading the music got up to lead the invitation, and I appealed for souls. Now, I'm not a singer, but I'm going to sing this exactly the way she sang the invitation. She got up there with a real sad look on her face, and she sang this song just like this. Oh, why not tonight? Oh, why not tonight? Oh, why not tonight? I want to say time out. Let me tell you all why not tonight. Because God is not in this dead church. So I've said something about the ministry of a dead church. Just because there's activity does not mean there is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is not moving in a church, then all we're doing is having a meeting. There's a second thing I want you to see in these scriptures. Not only did I want to say something about the ministry of a dead church, I want to say something about the membership of a doomed church. Now listen very closely. There were two groups of people in this church. First of all, there was a dying majority. A dying majority. Notice the Bible says in verse 3, to the dying majority. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Received what? Heard what? He's talking about the gospel, the good news. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and raised from the dead. And you get saved because you receive by faith the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says one of your problems is, is you've lost your gospel focus and you've gotten over getting saved. One of the things that brings vitality to the church and to the Christian is to stay focused on the cross. Jesus came to planet earth because I was dead in my sins. You were dead in your sins. And he walked in a human body and lived a sinless life and voluntarily died on an old rugged cross as our substitute and poured out his blood to pay our sin debt in full. Became a curse for us. And His blood alone satisfies the wrath of God against our sins. And after three days and three nights in that tomb, God raised Him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the gospel. And we don't get saved because we join a church. We get saved because we hear that gospel. And we receive the Christ of that gospel. He says, you need to remember Calvary. You need to remember the blood of Jesus. You need to remember what a blessing it was the day that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when you lose that first love, that, that, that vision of a crucified Savior, the newness of it wears off, that's when you begin to die. There's this dying majority. They lost their focus on the cross and the gospel. They'd also stopped growing. 
Now, notice he tells them in that verse, verse 3, to hold fast. And the only way you can hold fast to the truth is to continue to grow in the truth. You will never hold on to a truth unless you continue to put that truth into practice and grow in that truth. The Scripture teaches us we get saved, but that's just the beginning. But then we affiliate with the local church. We plug into a small group. We sit under the pastor as he preaches the Word of God, and you never arrive in your Christian life. If you say, as a Christian, I have arrived, I want you to understand, my friend, you, you have lost absolutely the focus of where you ought to be as a Christian because you never arrive. We are works in progress. We are ever becoming and never arriving. And if you think that you've arrived, you're in the grip of pride. Christ is constantly showing me areas of my life where I need to improve, where I need to repent, just like the Word says here, where I need to grow. And one of the exciting things about the Christian life is you never you never get to the place where there's, there's not another truth to get a hold of and an application. And so every time I get in the Word, I'm excited. And when I go to God's house, I'm excited because God is speaking to me and God is speaking even to you tonight. And it's a thrill to be in the house of God, to congregate is the people of God. So the scripture says that Jesus says to that dying majority, you need need to get back to the cross. You need to get back to the main thing. You you need to again begin to grow. You want me to tell you another reason that majority was dying? Because they had lost interest in a particular doctrine that's so important. They had lost interest in the truth of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Look what it says there in verse 3. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. The scripture teaches us 1,300 and some 48 times, I believe, that Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus himself said, I will come again. The angel said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus is going up, is coming back down. The next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. We must move with urgency. We don't have time to play church. And the world at its worst needs the church at its best. The church needs to be revived. I mean, the signs are all around us. Look at the Middle East. Look at what's happening to all the players that will be gathered in the plain of Megiddo at that last battle, the battle of Armageddon. Look at what, what's happening on the world stage with, with communist China, with Russia, what's happening there in the conflict with Ukraine. The North Koreans shooting missiles over Japan. Putin threatening to use a thermonuclear device as his armies retreat. And the nation of Israel surrounded by enemies, under assault. I don't know the date, I don't know the hour, and no man does, but I know this truth. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is coming again. 
And until he comes, we're to be spreading the gospel. We're to be living the gospel. We're to be worshiping in spirit and in truth. And we're not to be gathering in a sorority meeting, a society meeting, some kind of fraternal organization meeting, in a sort of a little fellowship meeting. We're to gather as the people of God and dwelt by the Spirit of God to do the work of God with one eye on the eastern sky. And I want to ask you something tonight, my friend. Do you know without a shadow of a doubt if Jesus Christ comes tonight that you're going to be caught up to meeting? And I want to ask you, child of God, are you still thrilled by that truth? When you wake up in the morning, this could be the day. This could be the dawning of the day that Jesus Christ comes. I'm telling you, it's going to happen just like this. He's going to descend from the heavens with a shout and every saved, born-again Christian is going to go up to meet the Lord in the air and the lost are going to be left behind. There's going to be seven years of tribulation and at the end of it, Christ is coming back and it's going to end in a great battle and Jesus Christ is going to walk across the Kedron Valley after he's landed on the Temple Mount on the Mount of Olives, kick open the eastern gate. He's going to go up there on that Temple Mount, sit on the throne of David and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If that truth doesn't grip you and motivate you, you're part of that dying majority. But not only was there a dying majority, there was a dedicated minority. There were some folks in this dead church that were still excited about Jesus. The Bible says in verse 4, you got a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. I decided a long time ago, if everybody else wants to be dead, that's their choice. I'm not going to be dead. In fact, I think probably, I don't know, there's probably two or three people in our church, I don't know if they're still lingering after all these years, that probably thought, if Willie's hanging here long enough, surely to goodness he's going to calm down, wear out, back up, sit down. (laughs) But I believe I'm getting worse, because you know what? Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. I decided I'm not going to sit and soak and sour. I'm not going to soak. I'm not going to go through life looking like I've been baptized in vinegar and sucking on a lemon. I'm going to live my life until Jesus Christ calls me home with vim and vigor and vitality. And I still get a thrill when I think about what Jesus Christ did for me. The Bible says here, here's a minority of people. In that dead church that said, if the rest of y'all won't be dead, we're not going to be dead. Look at them. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. That means they did not compromise. They didn't compromise with the world, didn't compromise their faith. It says, he says, they walk with me in white for they are worthy. They walk in holiness. And what is holiness? Holiness is Jesus in me just living his life through me. It says in verse 5, He who overcomes shall be clothed. They decided we're not going to be victims. We're going to be victors. We're not going to be overcome. We're going to be overcomers. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and the angels. In the book of Luke chapter 10, the Lord sent 70 of his followers out two by two. And they came back and said, man, we went out there and even the demons are subject to us. When we spoke your name, those demons came out of people. And Jesus said, don't be excited about that. He said, just be thrilled and excited that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
So what can I say about this minority? They just never got over getting saved. They're excited about getting saved. They're walking with Jesus. They're in love with Jesus. They Listen, if you came tonight and you say, I'm just sort of down, let me tell you something, my friend, if God never does anything for us except save our souls from hell, we got something to thrill us all the way until we fall into His arms when we finish the race. But He gives us blessings on top of that great blessing. He meets our every need and meets us with new mercies every time the sun comes up. I want you to know it is a thrill to know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And so because of that, I want to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. So there is a dying majority. And then there is a dedicated minority. So I said something from the Word of God from these scriptures about the ministry of a dead church. I said something about the membership of a doomed church. And then I just want to say something about the marks of a dynamic church. What are the marks of a dynamic, alive, thriving church? Well, the key is verse 6. Notice the Bible says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. The Holy Spirit is the key. What are the marks of a dynamic church? Number one, life. The life of the Spirit. And I want to tell you, when you come into a church, you can sense whether there's life or whether there's death. The second mark is growth. Not just numerical, but also people growing into maturity in their faith. Not what I used to be. Not what I'm going to be. The third mark is heart. Love. An alive church is not full of a bunch of critical, carping, naysaying, negative, pessimistic, pouting church members. There's love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That love was shed abroad in our heart when we trusted Christ as our Savior. It's sacrificial and it's without conditions. One of the evidences that you're filled with the Holy Spirit is love. And you can have all the programs and all the plans and all the buildings and all that stuff. But if there's not love in that church, let me tell you something, that church is doomed. So, life, growth, heart, unity. I mean, God's not going to bless a church where there's not unity. They were in one accord, in one place, when the Holy Spirit fell. Let me ask you something tonight. I may never pass this way again. Jesus may come tomorrow or a week from now. Who knows? But we all not going to agree on everything. I have preached this for 31 years at the church I pastor. People drive different kinds of automobiles. People like different sports teams. People like different sports People like different styles of music. They like different styles of clothes. You're never going to get everybody in church to agree on everything. You're just never going to do it. But can we not agree on this? Can we not agree that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and we deserve hell and that's where we're going to go unless we get saved? 
Can we not agree that the only way to heaven is through the blood of Jesus, that he was born of a virgin, died on a cross, was buried in a tomb and raised from the dead and ascended on a high with the promise that someday he's coming in majesty and glory? Can we not agree that the Bible is the infallible, inspired word of the living God? Can we not agree that every last one of us deserves to bust hell wide open, but Jesus didn't give us what we deserve? He given us what we don't deserve can we not agree on that and go forward in the cause of Christ unity togetherness around the gospel of Christ another mark is emotion you say oh no wait a minute I want the church to go off the deep end listen we so far from the edge man we go another 500 miles and we're going to be okay listen because I have emotions I laugh and I cry I feel, I sing because I have emotions. And I believe a church that is alive has emotion, heart in everything they do. And then, of course, my friend, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that one of the marks of a living, dynamic church is the manifested presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you, revival is possible. I don't care how dead a church is or how how diminished and in decline a Christian life is. Renewal and revival is possible. I read of a man in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. Old Ezekiel was a prophet of God. He said, the hand of God was on me, led me out by his spirit into a valley, filled with dry bones. And that pictured the entire nation of Israel. The Spirit of God had withdrawn. They were divided. The skeletons weren't even together. Had a skull over here and a toe bone over there. And God said, this is the church I've called you to preach to. You are the new pastor at Dry Bones Baptist Church. Man, that place was dead. The bones had been picked clean by the buzzards and bleached white in the hot Middle Eastern sun. And he said, you just get up there and preach my word to those dead bones. And he didn't operate on feeling, he operated on faith. And he got up there, and week after week, he said, you dry bones, I'm telling you, God's going to put meat on these bones. He's going to bring these bones back together. He, he's he's, he's going to put his breath in you. I'm telling you, he's going to raise you into an exceedingly great army. And it looked like there was no hope. But one day, as he was prophesying, he said, suddenly he felt a breeze on his face and the spirit of God blew down that valley like he blew on the upper room on the day of Pentecost and all of a sudden listen the bones came together see you got to have unity if you're going to have revival I mean the bones came together I mean the toe bone it came over there to the heel bone And the heel bone went over to the ankle bone. And the ankle bone went over to the shin bone. And the shin bone went over the knee bone. And the knee bone went over the thigh bone. And the thigh bone went over the hip bone. And the hip bone went over. That's all the song I know. But you get the point, man. Those bones came together. And then God put meat on those bones. And and, and they stood up. And then God began to pour out His Spirit. He began to fill those bones with His Holy Spirit. And they turned and they stood against the forces of hell. An exceedingly great army. That's what God needs to do in the church. J. Edwin Orr was the greatest expert 
historian concerning revival probably that the church ever produced. And in the 1970s, he was speaking at what was called in those days Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina. He was lecturing on revival, spiritual awakening. And when one of the lectures was over, one of the students went up to him and said, Dr. Orr, I understand that i got to pray. And we've got to pray if we're going to experience a revival. But is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can do to hasten, quicken the revival? And I mean, he immediately said, yes. You can let it begin in you. Lord, send a revival and let it begin in me. Let's pray together. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And this is a renewed weekend. We're going to have some music in just a moment. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed, the pastor's going to be taking his place with the staff. And if you're not sure, if you died tonight, if you're not sure that you'd go to heaven, we'd love to have a gospel conversation with you. Love for you to come and just uh, tell the pastor, I, I, I just want to make sure I'm saved. I'm not sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. Or maybe tonight you need a revival. Maybe tonight God needs to shake your life up a little bit. Maybe tonight we need some people to come down here and kneel around this altar or stand or sit here and just say for a moment, Lord, I'm going to pray like the old time preacher prayed. Lord, I don't want firecrackers. I need dynamite. I mean, we need a revival. We need a spiritual awakening. Will you say, Lord, I can't speak for anybody else in this church, but I want it to begin in me. Holy Spirit of God, move in this place tonight. God, we need revival. I, 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 I want to experience revival. Lord, I don't want to rest out. I don't want to die. Oh, God, give us a fresh touch tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen and amen. Let's all stand together, and we're going to sing. And the pastor is here. And the altars are open. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit tonight. And obey God.